Well, welcome everyone to your Enneagram Coach, the podcast. We're so glad that you're here. And guess what? We're on YouTube. So go over there, like this video, subscribe so that you can be in touch with us and all the podcasts that we have coming up. Well, today we're continuing our conversation on type fives, and we're going to actually interview two type fives today. And it's going to be so great to hear from them because type fives share the same core motivations and EIP parts. But as you know, we can't put all type fives in the same box because each person has a unique story that causes their EIP parts to show up in different ways. So if you don't know about EIP or Enneagram Internal Profile, go back to episode 112. Um, But also, if you want to hear about the specific Enneagram Internal Profile, go back for the type 5, go back to episode 129. But before you go there, Beth, why don't you give them a brief description of what is EIP? Yeah. So as we all know, God is really focusing on our heart condition, right? And the Enneagram is such an amazing tool because it helps us to understand if our heart is aligned or misaligned with the truth of the gospel. And so when we use EIP, what it does is it helps us to understand the various parts of our heart and how each part is doing. So your main type has two parts. They have the misaligned wounded child part and the gospel-led beloved child part. Now your type has four connecting types. You have the two wings. Those are the two numbers next to your main type. And then the two paths. These are the two types that are connected to your main type through the lines that you see in the symbol. Now, each of these parts can show up in your day-to-day life, whether aligned or misaligned. See, when your wounded child is trying to lead all your parts, it's going to lead it in very unhealthy ways because it's ill-equipped. It's like a little child who doesn't really know how to drive, let's say, a big bus. And you don't want this part leading the rest of your parts. But we can also help ourselves to become aware of when this is going on, to surrender and depend um, on the Holy Spirit to help us to get back into alignment with what's true. And when that happens, your beloved child starts to lead your heart back into real truth. And this is where you're going to see the fruits of the Spirit come um, into line with the rest of your parts, which really helps you all of your relationships, and your connection with God. Well, we've got a couple of guests with us today, uh, and two uh, colleagues and friends that uh, are type fives. So this is going to be a really special time. If you know a five, love a five, have relationships, work with a five, uh, there's a lot of value in our conversation today as we talk through uh, how what makes the type five tick. So, uh, Natalie, I'm going to end up mispronouncing your name. So, uh, <laughs> why don't you go ahead and it, what, ha, pronounce your last name for me? Sure, it's Sang. It's like you sang a song. Sang. Ah, okay. See, mm-hmm. I would have said to sing. It has T S A N G. That's right. Right. Silent T. It'll so, get you. Well, uh, Natalie serves as the president and chief operating officer of Kaleidoscope. It's an Atlanta-based brand and talent management agency helping extraordinary leaders spread messages that the world's longing to hear. Um, she's an avid reader and consumer of all things media, uh, and you can always count on Natalie for a great book, podcast, or TV show recommendation. Uh, Natalie has a bachelor's degree in organizational management from Asbury University and her master's in uh, plate spinning <laughs> from the School of Life. Love so, that. Natalie, her daughter, I thought it, I, I, honestly, I thought it was a misspelling. I was like, plate? <laughs> oh, okay, it's a joke. <laughs> 
<laughs> Love this sense of humor of five. So. Her daughter, Rooney, her husband, John, uh, who's also a cinematographer, live in Tucker, Georgia. Uh, welcome, Natalie. We are so glad that you've joined us to talk about what it's like to be a type five. Thanks, Jeff. I'm excited to be here. You know, and just reading your little bio that you gave us, uh, there's some type five playfulness there. Yeah. Like there, there is some wittiness and playfulness. I mean, do you find people are surprised by that or do you find people like really just enjoy that aspect of you? Surprised, yes. Uh, and uh, I think I'm not saying I'm that witty of a person, but I've heard there's a certain wit to my sense of humor and a certain bluntness that catches people off guard and can look a little bit like an Enneagram 8 at times. Yes. Oh, totally get that. Super fun. Well, our next guest is Steve Anderson. Uh, Steve is a dear friend. He and his wife, matter of fact, if you've ever been to a Becoming Us Live event, you would have seen videos. Uh, His wife, Karen. Well, uh, Steve is an expert in strategic risk and business growth. Drawing on decades of experience in the insurance industry, he actually released a book, uh, he and Karen, The Bezos Letters, 14 Principles to Grow Your Business Like Amazon, which has become a Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and international bestseller. With hundreds of thousands of followers, Steve has been handpicked by LinkedIn as one of the world's most influential thought leaders. Steve helps business owners understand how to leverage uh, the exquisite tension between risk-taking and business growth. Uh, Steve and his wife, like I said, are dear friends. And matter of fact, Karen helped us to write our first book, Becoming Us. They call Franklin, Tennessee home. Steve, thanks so much for joining us and inviting us into this special place that the, that you call your office. And I'm assuming it's a very private place um, that is all orchestrated to uh, maximize uh, efficiencies there in your office. Yeah, I think a lot of men call it man caves, but um, yeah, Kieran and I decided a long time ago we wanted to stay married, and so (laughs) I do not have an office in our my house. I have never had an office in our home. That's her domain, and so I've always had an office outside, and and frankly, it helps me separate somewhat. I would say, you know, work and um, home. So yeah. Now, Steve, uh, you're married to Karen, and what is Karen's Enneagram type? Um, (laughs) (laughs) The latest version is a one. Great. Although for a long time she thought she was – she was convinced, and I think others were convinced she was a two. But um, And it's kind of like what I hear uh, in uh, a Muppet Muppet movie that was released a long time ago – if I'm a man, I'm a very Muppet of a man. <laughs> and if I'm a Muppet, I'm a very manly Muppet. So if she is a one, then she's a very two-ish one. Yeah. And if she is a two, she's a very one-ish two. Yep. That's true. Um, and so, uh, matter of fact, we'll even speak to some of those dynamics as it relates to wings and stuff in mistypes. Uh, EIP addresses all of that. Uh, well, Natalie, what about you? Uh, tell us, I mean, you're, so you've been married to John. What's John's right, type? Right. So it'll be 10 years this fall. So 37 years to catch up to you, Steve. And uh, I am married to a type seven. Uh, a type seven. Yeah, very Fantastic. much a seven. So lo- love his sevenness. Sure. Now we're going to, Beth's going to give us a, an overview of the type five, but I am curious about this one question. Mm-hmm. Um, fives sometimes are the least 
engaging type as it relates to like social media and seeking coaching and stuff for us. So how did you first learn about the Enneagram and what is, what's that been like finding out you're a five? We'll be back after a quick break. Moms, it's here. Registration is open for Enneagram for Moms cohort. Yes, from May 6th to May 13th, you can grab your spot to be in one of the cohorts with moms of the same Enneagram type, plus with a certified Enneagram coach leading the way. Wouldn't that be the most amazing thing to be with like-minded moms who really understand what it's like to be on your journey as a mom from your type? Yes, it will feel so validating, reassuring, affirming, encouraging. You don't have to mom alone anymore. Go to yourenneagramcoach.com forward slash cohorts to grab your spot today because there's only 25 spots available for each cohort. Now we have a cohort for all nine types in the daytime and one in the evening. But when the spots are filled up, they're gone. So grab your spot today at yourenneagramcoach.com forward slash cohorts. The groups start the week of June 10th and go until the week of July 29th. There are 90 minute sessions and there's eight of them. Plus you'll get a free Facebook group community where you can continue the conversation with one another. Join today. I first found out about the Enneagram. I think it must have been through the road back to you in 2016 or 2017. Um, anytime I hear about a book that everyone in my circle seems to be reading, I, I have to be in the know. You know, I've got to read. <laughs> I have right. to uh, yeah, get up to speed. Um, so it's certainly through that book and uh, finding out I was a five for me was a really positive affirming thing, I think. And that's not to say that it was all um, good or that I loved everything that I read about myself as it pertained to being an Enneagram five, but I felt seen, you know, I felt Mm. um, seen in an important way and it helped me, um, you know, we talk all the time about how the Enneagram is so much more than just how you act, but your motivations and how to really achieve true transformation. And so the parts about myself that maybe were, were, frustrating or I felt held me back. I think the Enneagram had much more clear path to transformation, um, lasting transformation than just trying to change uh, behaviors. Um, So for me, it was, yeah, it was a really positive thing. Now, what about you, Steve? How did you find out about the Enneagram? Well, um, I would have to say the road back to you also. Um, And I, I, um, I'm trying to remember and I, I, I sort of just always, once I understood the types gravitated mm-hmm. to a five just because it made sure. sense yeah. in terms of yeah. oh, sure. how I think and, and how I react and interact. Um, and then Karen went like really deep down the rabbit hole um, mm-hmm. in terms of training and really going deep and understanding it. And um, yeah, so that's been, that's been really good for us. The, the phrase we use now is um Actually, the phrase she uses is for becoming us. This is the mm-hmm. book she wished we had yeah. 35 mm-hmm. or 40 years ago. Well, Beth, why don't you go through just an overall summary of yeah. the type five for audience? Okay. Yeah. So type fives are perceptive and they're innovative observers. They're going to walk through life with this curiosity and craving to learn new things Their minds are super inquisitive, um, and they can also be very practical um, and objective. 
And they use their discernment um, and their knowledge to make really wise decisions. Now, they feel that they lack inner resources and that there's a possibility that too much interaction with others could lead to catastrophic depletion of their energy and reserves inside. So you'll find them at times isolating themselves from others and kind of holding on to these resources and minimizing their needs. Because for them, they really fear that this interaction is going to deplete them so much. And I'll kind of talk about that here in just a second. But their focus of attention is detaching and observing to maintain boundaries and to ensure that they will not experience that catastrophic depletion. Now, fives have so many strengths, and I was so glad to hear, Natalie, that you were talking about, man, I really felt seen and heard, and that's so wonderful, because I think a lot of times our human nature is to see um, kind of the the negative points of our type, but I just love hearing how you really focused in on and honed in on and felt um, how you have so many strengths. So for fives... Um, they can comfortably like stand back from a situation and look at it objectively and also not allow their emotions to get in the way of what judgment needs to happen. So where this would be really amazing is like in the ER, if you have an ER doctor, you want them to be able to separate their emotions in the time to see what's going on and to make the right decision, the right call in the moment. Um, Now, fives do an immense amount of research and so that they can really understand what is going on, perceive it, and then move forward with that knowledge to make the right decisions. Now, they can spend an enormous amount of time by themselves, hours in their mind, contemplating, thinking, researching. In fact, I've kind of heard it that fives don't even really experience boredom. Uh, to them, they always have something to think on and to ponder on and to observe and to take in. So I'd love to kind of hear from you guys later on if that's really true. So start thinking about that. Now, the core motivations of the five, remember, the core motivations are the driving force behind why we all think, feel, and behave in our particular ways. So it's important to focus on the core motivations and the fact that they never do change. But we also have our EIP parts. And that those parts are actually kind of serving the type five's core motivations. So here are the type five's four core motivations. Their core fear is being annihilated, invaded, or not existing at all. And they fear being incapable or thought of as ignorant. Um, And they also fear having too many obligations placed on them that is going to deplete their energy. Now, their core desire is to be knowledgeable, capable, and competent but they struggle with the core weakness of avarice. Now, avarice usually means like greedy with money, but that's not what it's meaning here. For the fives, they feel like they lack inner resources and that too much interaction with others will lead to that catastrophic depletion. So you're going to find them holding, withholding themselves uh, from others, uh, from contact with others, and they're going to kind of hold or hoard their resources by minimizing their needs. So when I talk about that, that aspect. A lot of people that aren't fives are kind of like, I don't fully understand. So I describe it as um, having a cell phone. So at night we plug in our cell phone, we wake up, it's a hundred percent charged. And if you're an extrovert, you have a Mophie case on it. And later in the day you go interact with people and you charge right up. It's like, yes, there we go. Um, Introverts typically are charged a hundred percent, but you know, three fourths of the day, it's like, I'm done. I'm out. Well, for a five, they wake up every day with about 20 to 25% interactive battery life. And so for them, 
it, they feel that if it gets down to zero, that phone will never turn on again. So if that was true for you and you have this phone, uh, you're not going to just, you know, start using it in the morning and just use it all day and then just let it die, right? You're going to be very resourceful in how you use it. You're going to ration out that energy. And so if someone comes into your life and kind of intrudes and takes your phone and starts playing Netflix, you're like, whoa, 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 that is not, that's not possible. We can't do that. You go use your own phone. And it can feel like those boundaries are like off-putting, like, whoa, you, why can't I use your you know, phone? Or why can't we interact? Why can't we watch this together? But if you understand it from their viewpoint that if it gets to zero and turn, shuts off, that it will never turn on again, you can completely have understanding and empathy and compassion for the type five. And so we'll get into that as we kind of dive into the type five and how they really kind of hold on to their resources and minimize their needs because asking for help really is asking people to possibly over intrude, which will deplete their energy. But the core longing, the last motivation for the type fives is they uh, long to hear that your needs are not a problem. Steve, why don't we start with you first? Uh, tell us what was it whenever you first heard the description of the Type 5? Um, I mean, it, it seemed to resonate with you when you first heard it, but were there specific attributes that gave language to how you engage with relationships uh, and just the world? <laughs> but I, I, love, I, I, I love that little giggle. Yeah, that giggle <laughs> says so a lot. Well, I think of a... a incident example, you know, Karen and I were driving somewhere and it was early on in us, both of us trying to understand this. And, um, you know, her, she's always trying to engage conversation and what are you thinking? And, uh, those kinds of things. And, you know, her question was, so how's your heart? Mm. And I finally had had enough. I was like, I don't even know what that means. (laughs) Uh, I mean, it, it, it's all the more funny if you know Karen, like <laughs> the, 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 the back and forth between you and Karen, I'm, we're going to probably laugh harder because and people are like, why are they, it wasn't that funny, but if you know oh, Karen, yes. she's very much of a connector of people. She, oh, really, she's a, she is a extraordinary networker connector. Yes. She doesn't have, um, um, she never has too many friends and she doesn't have Somebody she hasn't met yet is just a friend in waiting. Yes. Yeah, right. Yes. So, <laughs> um, and I would say, you know, kind of back to the five, I think the other things that resonated with me early on was the researcher, the mm-hmm. gathering information. I mean, there's, there is seldom a situation where I feel like I have enough information. Mm-hmm. There's always more that I could get. And yeah. that kind of, I would say recently the pinnacle of that was uh, researching the uh, the book, uh, Amazon, and, and yes. all the yeah. things that, that were involved with that. <clears throat> I mean, I went down a lot of rabbit holes mm. that were fascinating. <laughs> sure. <laughs> it had no relevance to the book. You probably have 10 other books you could write, right? <laughs> well, I, I, yeah. I mean, and, and with that what about this yeah. and who said that? Yeah. And and it was again in in actually writing the book so it, the book is a examination of the shareholder letters that Jeff Bezos wrote starting in 1997 the book goes through 2018 and 
the genesis of that whole idea was I discovered these, thought they were really fascinating, and uh, actually put together a white paper with one page per letter, kind of a executive summary. Mm. So it was chronological. It was, you know, uh, the information and the dates and everything was accurate and it was just right. You know, and and at one point I, Karen and I were working on the manuscript. Um, That's not true. I wrote what I thought was the first draft of the manuscript. (laughs) Right. She, she, um, which is, she's brilliant, but she basically said, honey, we need to talk. And, I, you know, I don't know if it's just guys, but that's never a good phrase, <laughs> right, from your wife. Um, and so she said, I hate to tell you, but nobody cares what year he said what. And I was like, what? What do you mean? Of course it makes a difference. So anyway, anyway, so yeah. we completely changed the whole really structure of the yes. book around principles, not around dates and Yes. Things, but oh, that, totally that was my sense. absolute initial thought process was it's chronological, their dates, yes. orders, you know, things have to happen in this this particular way. So yeah. and, well, and, and, Natalie, um, and she'll love to be able to have this on a recording. She was right. <laughs> there we go. Good man. Yeah, we'll, we all heard we'll, it. <laughs> yeah, we'll make sure that stays private. <laughs> Uh, well, Natalie, what about you? What was it uh, you felt seen? What was it that you felt particularly seen? It yeah. sounds like maybe you had been carrying a lot internally in your own experience. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, no, someone actually understands me. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, on a, on a surface level, there was things like uh, a bookworm that jumped out at me on the description, mm-hmm. right? Like I'm a voracious uh, reader. But then on a deeper level, it was the desire to understand and why I want to understand the world really can feel like too much for me at times. And I feel like I grasp some of my power back when I seek to understand. And Steve, you said the word uh, rabbit trails. I mean, the, the Wikipedia rabbit trails that I've gone down are, uh, are vast. Um, but it's funny. It's like this simultaneously feeling like I'm too much in the sense of my needs being so great. And then I'm also not enough. Uh, the voice of scarcity is something that I'm really familiar with in my life. Um, unfortunately, that that constant feeling of there not being enough. And I know when I'm feeling more aligned um, with with the gospel and with uh, how God made me to be, that voice isn't so loud, um, but but it's there. Um, and uh, I think just understanding how I was made in that way uh, for the first time, why I'm seeking to understand, um, sure. just freed up a lot for me. Can you guys speak a little bit more towards the avarice aspect, which is really just that feeling of there's this potential of catastrophic depletion and how it, it, I'm assuming you feel very misunderstood with the times you need to be alone to recharge, to be able to process and think. Um, Can you guys walk us through a little bit of what that looks like? Natalie, why don't you go first? Sure. Yeah. It's, um, it's interesting that, you know, you mentioned uh, worry about feeling misunderstood. That's, that's strong in my life uh, for sure. And so for the people that know me and love me to understand that when I'm needing a night away to myself, it's, it's so that I can show up as my best self for them 
you know, it might seem on the surface like a selfish desire. And I'm not saying that I'm unselfish completely, but what (laughs) may seem like a purely selfish desire may in fact be because I know myself well enough and I know how I want to be able to show up for the people that I love and that in order to play the long game, sometimes the short Mm -hmm. game is that I need time um, away to think, to be, to be unneeded, to turn my notifications off. That's the biggest gift in my life is to be able to turn off a notification because it's funny how just one little ding on a, on a, on my phone can cause great Mm. anxiety, (laughs) a bit of a spiral, but to truly be like unplugged and unreachable um, is a, is a big part of how I fuel up. It's interesting to hear you say that because I, in my relation, my work life and having worked with fives, Mm -hmm. often I experience them a little unreachable Mm -hmm. as it relates to text messages or emails. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting to see it from the other side that they may actually be, um, choosing not to be reachable Mm-hmm. in order to recharge. It's not that it's a, a statement about the relationship. I don't want to connect with you. Right. But in order to connect with you well, I need a break from right. this device that keeps Or just intriguing. being available at any moment. Exactly. Yeah. Right. right. So like, hey, I'll check my phone maybe at breakfast, lunch, and dinner and respond versus, exactly. I know for you, you are literally constantly available. <laughs> and that's a big difference. So like Natalie, as you were saying that, I'm like, yes, that's me. As a nine, I also don't want to be bothered and like, mm-hmm. you know, constantly notified. Whereas Jeff, sure. really, that's just what he does all the, you know, he's just checking mm-hmm. everything and it, it almost feels like a, like in a game. You get upset with me I at do. times. Like, I'm why like, do you know all the things that you know? <laughs> How did you... How did you even find it before I did? It's like someone will slack us or do something and it's, it almost feels like you saw it instantaneously. It's amazing. Like he's just waiting for them. But it doesn't feel like you're saying that it's a gift. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure they, I'm sure they understand. Right guys? Like, doesn't that just like make your mind tired? Has anyone ever said to you like, how and why do you even know that fact? <laughs> oh, <yeah>. yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. Right. But then people will say, how do you work outside in a, you know, a patio chair all day, every day, which is what I do. Sure. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, that's the greatest thing ever. Like uh, we had an Enneagram teacher over uh, at our home recently who was a three and to, to see how they engage with this sense of calling and using the Enneagram mm-hmm. to uh, to teach and train people. Yeah. I, I was like, yeah, that's Beth's office there in a <laughs> patio chair looking at the landscape. It's all about comfort, people. Isn't that why you bought the house? It that, is that's why right, I bought the house, right. yes. Well, Steve, what about you as, you as you think about avarice and consuming knowledge as a response to am I enough to engage with the world? Uh how have, what kind of feedback have you gotten about that? How has that been a struggle, but how has that also been a gift? Um, I, I, a couple of things came to mind. Um, one is in my business. So I speak for a living and a lot of conventions. Most of the time I know a handful of people, if that. And for me, the cocktail hour is mm-hmm. excruciating. Um. And, and literally there are, and sometimes I notice it and sometimes I don't, there are times when I just 
go walk in the hall um, away from the yeah. buzz and the right, the noise and the all, all that kind of stuff. Um, and sometimes I just leave. Um, yeah. And sometimes I'll, I'll recover, go back in, um, et cetera. But that, that was one of the things that, um, again, as I was learning about fives, that, that depletion thing. And I would say those uh, around me now un- un- do better understand <clears throat> that it's not, I don't want to be with them. It's just, they're sucking the life out of me. I mean, you know, when I say that, I don't know, like that certainly could come across as, as whatever, but it really is. There's only so much of me. Yeah. Available. Well, and that's kind of like why I like to give that because everyone knows what it's like when your phone is down at 5% and you've got like four or five hours left in the day and you don't know where you can plug your phone back in. You're trying your best to use that energy as least as possible. And they, they need to lean into their six wing <laughs> and their phone is always at 100% oh, no okay, matter what. Yes. You be don't prepared. Know going to well, I'm always prepared with multiple batteries that I can always uh, <laughs> yes. plug in. Yes. Sure. And he's researched the best ones. <laughs> yes, I bet he has. Yeah, but I mean, I think, you know, for people to understand, like, this isn't like, you know, uh, a slight on other people per se. Like, it's not that fives don't want relationships. It's that they, like you said, I have only so much to give. And one thing I've said um, to people that are not fives is, and then when I see fives expression, they're like, that's a thing. And I encourage those that aren't fives, like to ask the fives in our lives, like, hey, I would love to go out to dinner tonight, or I'd love to hang out with the Smiths later tonight. But where's your battery life? Like, are are you at 5%? Like, what can we do to recharge you for the rest of the night? Like, do you need 30 minutes, an hour, or is this just not possible? What would that mean for you guys if someone was that in tuned and that understanding? That would mean a lot. I think, um, I think my, my husband really is great at, about that. I think over, over time, I've just learned to do that for myself and mm-hmm. advocate for myself more what I need. And I think that's part of the, for me, the maturing process is not waiting or taking it personally if someone doesn't understand me, but going, hey, I, I understand myself and I can advocate for myself in this situation. It is interesting, Natalie, to think that as a five, you've chosen to marry a seven. Mm. So there's a certain sense that maybe like you, you hope for him to draw you out. Yes. You, you love the adventure Mm -hmm. and the excitement of it. And then at the same time, your body may be saying like, Nope, this, this isn't going to happen today. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's balanced just like any marriage. Right. Um, and there's times when it feels like your needs war against each other, but more than that, our gifts uh, complement each other. Uh, and so just learning to lean into that over the years. Well, um, for the rest of our time together, we're going to be talking through each of the six parts of our Enneagram internal profile. And the first two parts are the wounded and beloved part of our main type. So we can live out our personality, our, our style of relating, and live that from a place of woundedness or hurt, harm, uh, maybe unhealthiness, misalignment, or live it from beloved, that is kind of the spirit field part of us, uh, which is interesting, I just said field, um, my Texas accent every once in a while does come back <laughs> and uh, pinch and 
eel are words that I sometimes bring a draw to. Uh, but so we're going to talk about the wounded part of your hearts first as a type five. Now, the wounded part is the part of us that carries our experience of both uh, the fall and sin, uh, as well as living in a fallen world where there's tragedy and there's harm. Uh, and so this part of us is often fairly young, it's wounded, it's tender, um, it's sensitive to the world around us. And the reason why it's important to name this part of us is because the other parts of our Enneagram internal profile, the two wings and the two paths, when we are living out of woundedness, all those other connecting types have unhealthy expressions. Why? Because they're seeking to protect the wounded part of our hearts. So Beth, why don't you talk about the wounded child for the type five? Yeah, so as children, fives long to hear your needs are not a problem. For them, they really kind of felt like this sense of maybe rejection or they didn't quite fit in with their relationships and family. That was really difficult. They felt really misunderstood. And so to feel competent and capable, they really would gravitate towards this area of knowledge or something they were really interested in. And they thought that, well, if I could offer this um, intellect, if I can offer this knowledge, maybe that can be my place. Um, but they also experience the world as very overwhelming. And one thing I want people to recognize is that fives are um, really um, extreme observers of the world. Like they, they bring in all of this information. So even as little kids, they might be in one room playing, and if the parents are in the other room talking about something or arguing, they're actually noticing it all. They might be thinking, oh, my kid's just playing over there. They're like not even attuned to what's going on. Actually, that's just not true at all with fives. They may not interact with it, but they're absorbing in all this information. It can be very overwhelming and very intrusive for them. And so it takes them a lot of time to process their thoughts and feelings because they're bringing in so much information. Um, and for fives, they, they don't often express their emotions and their inner world, and it takes them a lot of time to process exactly what they're thinking and especially what they're feeling. Now, they have great imaginations, they're very inquisitive, curious, and they love learning as many things possible. So they might dive right into one thing um, specifically, but they love to at least nibble on a little bit of everything. So just to bring in that information. But again, the world and relationships can feel, feel very overwhelming to them. And so they want to get away to have time alone to process their thoughts and feelings they are also going to have these intrusive false thoughts that usually pop up that will say things like, it's not okay to be comfortable in the world, to process my thoughts and feelings, and to have enough time to recharge. Um, they'll also have different um, thoughts that really um, feel like I have to know enough information to be able to go and do something. If I don't have enough information, I shouldn't go do it. When as we all know, now that we have the internet and YouTube and all the things like you, you, you can't ever get to the end of information. So it puts them in this stuck place of constantly gaining more information, but never doing. But even as an adult, they still long to hear your needs are not a problem. Well, so Steve, let's start with you first. Um, as you think about how you as a little kid, we're engaging with the world. 
How did you experience the uneasiness of being in the world? And how did pursuing knowledge and making observations help you to kind of function in the world? I immediately think of my room as a kid. And it was a great room. It was a huge desk, kind of one of those really big old business desks. I have no clue how we got it into the room. I had that, the wall in front of it was all cork, you know, square corked. Yeah. And I had this huge reading chair and that was my sanctuary. Um, Mm. That's where I went. Um, I was the youngest of three kids. Uh, My oldest sister, Peggy, uh, off to college. My older brother, David, um, was kind of the black sheep of the family. So um, not even kind of, he really was. Um, He, um, quick quick story, I hope, but um, he graduated high school in 1968 and immediately joined the Air Force. Um, and if you remember, 1968 was not a great time to actually right. enlist in the military. And I was pretty much thumbing his nose at my parents. And so then mm. sister was gone. Brother was gone. I was home alone. Um, dad was traveling. Mom worked. Um, and so, again, that room became a sanctuary for me. And reading, mm. I, I definitely was a bookworm. Still am a lot. Um, but again, thinking about the, you know, how to deal with the world, um, Mm -hmm. and emotions were really interesting. So in 1969, my brother-in-law, uh, my sister Peggy's husband of 17 months was killed in Vietnam. And so I was, I think probably 15 at the time. And again, all of the emotion, upheaval, um, Peggy coming back home to live with us for a while, um, you know, all of that kind of stuff, you know, was going on. And uh, frankly, I haven't quite don't know what impact that has, but I know it has had an impact. So yeah. those are just somewhat random thoughts, but those are what. Well, I, I love that, Steve, because with the five, there's something about a spaces and where they could kind of retract from the world and find themselves. And so that could be an office space or a childhood space. Um, you know, my, I had a great room growing up, but I don't, I didn't relate to it in that way. It was more of a launching pad <laughs> or like a fun place for me. But it, um, it is interesting as you hear from fives, the space matters. Mm. Natalie, what about you? How did you, um, you alluded to it a little bit earlier that the Enneagram gave you the freedom to name some things in your life, but that meant that there were some things that you were carrying that uh, were very scary about your life and that made you want to retract and try to observe and figure out how do I engage with the world? What did that look like for you as a little girl? Sure. And I just have to share too, I was smiling at the beginning of Steve's story because there was one Christmas as a child where all I wanted was a desk. That was my one thing on my list for uh, for Santa. And I got this great like antique roll top desk for my parents that, that year for my room. It was, was the best. Um, but you know, my Enneagram fiveness really merges with my identity as a middle child in my family, I feel like. And so I've got two sisters, one on either side of me. 
And they both also had medical issues growing up that took a lot of time and energy um, for my family. I mean, rightly so, but it felt like my job to be the, the easy child um, in a lot of ways. And, um, and so as I started to learn more about being an Enneagram 5, I drew similar lines to that experience as well, where, um, you know, my parents needed to spend a lot of time and energy caring for my, my sisters. And I was just quiet and just took care of myself and certainly observed everything happening around me and adopted the role uh, that I needed to in that situation. And then I really um, escaped through, through learning um, and, um, and, and dove headfirst into that area of my life. Natalie, what was it that you enjoyed learning about? Was it I, I could see a few options. Like, is it fantasy and kind of the world of creativity? Was it more functional things? You know, clearly business and how things right. work resonates uh, sure. with Steve. But what about you? I'm definitely a bit more of a nibbler. And that's probably been an insecurity for me as a five that people are waiting for that really just random subject matter expertise that I bring to the table. And I'm like, I know a little about a lot of things, just enough to be pretty good at trivia night. Uh, but I don't have this obscure knowledge base, um, but I've certainly had my seasons. So I, I, for example, as there was a couple years in middle school, where I was all about the golden age of Hollywood. And I just, I just checked out books on books on books from the library and read biographies of every forties and fifties movie star um, just because um, yeah. it just, it just fascinated me and was an escape. Now, uh, Steve, it's interesting. I, I don't have, I've never had a particular relationship with the library. Did do you did you share like was your library card important to you and just as a source of getting books? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I had a and, library basket. And, and, and Karen is somewhat proud of the fact that she got a master's degree without ever stepping into the library. <laughs> oh, oh, Steve! And I'm like, my son came home it, after yeah, one yeah. semester. <laughs> he said, "I almost made it through an entire semester without having to buy a book." Yeah, <laughs> and I thought, "Oh, come on, Nate, you're killing me here." But he also like what he like graduated over a three five. Like oh, anyway, yeah. like, how do yeah, you do that? The anyway, yeah, sense, I mean, but, again, yeah, that's true. Information, that's true. you know, the internet. Um, I, I chuckle sometimes, and I'm not going to look right now, but um, I use Evernote to capture stuff. Mm. And last time I checked, I think I had like 45,000 notes. <laughs> you keep going, Steve. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, oh, and it's, so it's book-related. It's cooking-related. Sure. It's... Interesting yeah. articles you never know when you're going to need to oh, go never back know. to it. You never know. That's right. right. But yeah. here's, here's the fascinating thing about that when I learned about fives. Like I, as a nine, I, I you know, I use Google folders, okay. kind of the same thing. But once I put it in a folder, I <laughs> might never remember that it's there. But the thing that's so fascinating about fives is like you have this filing cabinet in your brain <laughs> And you, you literally strategically put things away because what if I need this information? And when it comes to that time that you actually need that information, you know how to pull that information out. Like for me, if it's out of sight, I forget. Like that mm. to me is such an amazing gift and resource that you guys offer yeah, the it's, world. And, and it's, again, it's, I think, true in terms of, I remember reading an article about, right? And then being able That's to... Right. 
yeah. Now, sometimes being able to find it may be a little bit of a challenge, but um, mm-hmm. yes. But yes, I mean, and, and again, it's it's part of that. You know, it it intrigued me enough, or had enough curiosity as part of whatever the content was, that I thought I would want to potentially look at it again. And so I capture it someplace where I could find it. Steve, I have a very strong five wing. Um, The person who really brought that part of my life out, his name was Bob. So I call this my five wing Bob. And uh, Bob has a a very lengthy Evernote account as well. And I, I consider that a treasure. And I don't share it with everyone because they won't appreciate it. Or someone might say, like, why, why do you know this? Or why do you have such a big Evernote? <laughs> who are you talking about? <laughs> oh, I don't know, so I don't funny. know who that could be. Well, this next part, so we've talked about wounded, but there's also the gift that we bring because we've been uh, made in the image, uh, the unique image of God that God has imprinted upon us. And so that when our hearts have come to rest with who God has made us to be, and that we don't need to live life from a uh, um, protective stance or an avoidance stance, but we can actually engage with life in a real way that's more driven by the Spirit, we live out of beloved. And that means our wings and our paths and all the other connecting types actually have a healthy expression. And so, Beth, why don't you talk about what it looks like for the five living out of beloved? Yeah, so the beloved child knows who they are and whose they are. This is the spirit-led self. And it knows that their needs are not a problem for Christ. I mean, he is God Almighty, right? He can give us whatever we need. So the fives, they learn to rest in the fact that he is going to replenish them and to bring and restore that energy that they're looking for. Uh, As you think about uh, your life and when you first encountered Jesus— how, what was the unique experience you had, but through the lens of being a type five? Um, I, so I'll jump in. Um, There's no Evernote file on this, Steve. Sorry. Are you sure? <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> Don't be so sure. Um, um, I, you know, I think um, there was an interesting, and, and I was in high school um, when I came to Christ uh, through Young Life, and very much a, um, I would say, more emphasis on emotion with a somewhat emphasis on um, theology, right, Mm. learning. And I fairly quickly, uh, this is really interesting, I fairly quickly discovered R.C. Sproul Mm. and... Francis Schaeffer and, you know, others. Who as a very, as a teenager. Yeah. And, Oh, that's amazing. Oh, well, you haven't heard. We don't have time, but remind <laughs> me to tell you sometime Karen's story of um, flunking out of Bible college and then uh, ending up at a Labrie conference at covenant college in Chattanooga. Um, wow. Yeah. yeah. So it, it was it, beca- it was always important to me to have an, a, and I want to choose my words carefully here. Uh, what I'm thinking is, is a intellectual foundation 
biblical mm-hmm. faith, not just an emotional. Mm-hmm. And, and I've never actually connected that with fiveness, mm-hmm. but I think it probably. Well, Steve, that's why you hang out with a guy like me, because yeah. I ask you yeah. amazing questions <laughs> that, that, reveals it. that <laughs> rethink oh, your whole wow. life experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. well, Natalie, what about yourself? Yeah, I uh, I came to faith in Christ as a senior in high school, and that was, I mean, a phenomenal, genuine experience. But it's interesting as I was reflecting on your question just now, I was drawn more to an experience I had as a young adult where I felt like as a, I was in the season of really deciding whether I was going to live for Christ, um, sure. you know. And um, I still I still have so many doubts, and mm-hmm. and I still do, and I think that's really healthy. But um, I. I remember being at a, a, a church event where we were singing this song uh, that I think the lyric was, you won't relent until you have it all, which mm-hmm. as a line is, as a five is really scary, right? <laughs> the idea mm-hmm. Giving it all. I'm like, I better pull back a yep. little bit because just in yeah. case, and I can be really guilty of being a fence sitter um, because I'm waiting to have all the information before I yes. make the exact right decision. Right. I don't want to be wrong. Um, and and in that moment, I really did just have this transformational spiritual experience where, um, you know, God asked me to give it, give it to him all. And I did. And I actually got my one and only tattoo as a result as a 21 year old. I'm not sure that I would again, but it was it so moved me that I got a tattoo that says convinced. And, and that word just really captured that oh, experience um, for me. Where I just said, like, okay, for all the unknowns about the mm-hmm. specifics of how my faith is supposed to play out, I'm convinced that Jesus Christ is who He says He is, and I'm His. That's such and, a perfect um, word for a five. That's right, Steve. Do you have yeah. a tattoo <laughs> I, I, I related to your fiveness? I do not. <laughs> I've got a cousin who tattooed their enneagram type on their her arm mm-hmm. wrist. I can't remember. Yeah. I thought, wow, that is a bold six move. Yeah, she's a six, too. Uh, guy, uh, yeah, sixes have a lot of self-doubt, but she was like, no, I am tattooing it. I hope she's right. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we don't really get into a typing interview with her just in case. <laughs> right. Well, I just have to say, too, I, you know, I read, uh, you talk about authors, I read Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis every couple of years. I mean, that's the one I come back to. Um, again and again, because I mean, I agree with Steve, the intellectual foundation uh, for my faith is important to me. That's right. Mm-hmm. Man, I, I, there's another question I want to ask about how you experience doubt or ignorance, curiosity, that whole gamut of words about wanting to know more, but I, we've got a lot to get through here. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but I yeah. love talking to you guys. This is great. Well, let's bring this now to our connecting parts, and we're going to start off with the wings. Now, in typical Enneagram vernacular, usually we refer to wings such as like, hey, I'm a six with a five wing, and we treat it more like a subtype. And what we're trying to accomplish with the Enneagram internal profile is that we have both wings. Now, but our experience of the two wings can look very different. And so sometimes my fiveness may show up in this circumstance. And uh, matter of fact, I was talking with um, my son and one of his best friends from college yesterday, and my sevenness was showing up in a playful young mannish way. And I said, okay, 
El Macordo's done for the day. Um, and so my sevenness was showing up in that particular relationship. And so what we want to look at for the type five is let's look at the type four wing specifically. And how does the type four wing show up out of an expression of belovedness? or as an expression of woundedness. Beth, why don't you talk about the type four wing? Yeah, so just in general, the type four wing is withdrawn, isolated, um, more emotional, creative, and imaginative. Um, It detaches from using kind of just the intellect, but also will use the emotions, like dive more deeply into a sense of who they are, like kind of that authentic self. But when it's following the wounded child, you're going to see that they're going to struggle with the type five is going to struggle with more intense feelings that make them really want to withdraw even more because they're feeling misunderstood. Um, they also want to ignore the real world and maybe maybe just be in their imaginations and creativity and really pursue that. And they're going to feel very different from others. Um, and so they're going to become more detached, maybe more self-absorbed and focusing on those unique interests that they have. Now, when they're looking from um, the beloved child standpoint, what you're going to find is that they excel at combining their creativity with their intellect. And that is just so incredible because what you're going to find is true innovation is happening at that place. They bless others with like very special pieces of work, which is kind of like what we're finding with you guys and, and what you guys do. And so they transform something from what could be just mundane and normal to something just life-changing for someone. Um, And then just taking those emotions and bringing it to the intellect allows a whole nother space for each of those that they're interacting with to engage in all of life versus just the intellect or just emotions. So I'm just curious for you guys, you know, how does the type four show up for you guys both in that misaligned wounded place and also the beloved aligned place? Well, Natalie, I want to uh, get specific with you because uh, Kaleidoscope is creating an event Mm. that is both research oriented and creating great companies and cultures. Yeah. So, but it's also an experience and I'd love to hear how your foreness shows up in that expression of wanting to create a high quality, thoughtful experience for people to create places for human thriving. That's a great question, Jeff. I, you know, for many years, I wouldn't have called myself a creative person. I'm not, you know, my, my husband is a traditional creative. He creates films. Um, and it's taken me a long time to acknowledge I am creative. And just sent the other day on a team, we have a creative team meeting on which I sit And I said something kind of self-deprecating about being the least creative person there. And a colleague really kindly followed up later to say, hey, by the way, that that's craziness. You know, (laughs) the way, way, you know, maybe I can't create a drawing or create a film, um, but the creative way, ways I bring ideas and thoughts together to get us from here to there, that's my superpower. You know, I, I can recognize where we are and where we need to go and then I can bring together my thoughts and experiences and ideas um, that I'm plugging it, you know, that I'm that I'm inputting all the time, and I can and I can weave that together in a really creative way. And so that's where the healthy side of my force shows up when it comes to something like the fellowship event um, and and designing that. Uh, it certainly is a place where my four and five come together to shine. Yeah. yeah. Steve, what about you? How does your four wings show up in both its healthy and unhealthy ways? 
Um, <clears throat> I'm not sure I can articulate unhealthy. Um, I think the creative piece, I guess a couple things come to mind. And you, you alluded to it earlier in our conversation. Um, cooking is my hobby. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, um, and I'm, I always say that my wife completely supports. <laughs> yes, I, <laughs> my wife wouldn't support that. Because um, you're not just like, you don't just tinker, oh, right? Oh, no, he's not a tinker. No, no, no. No, and I, yeah, and it's, it's, um, and it took me a long time to, to use that word creative in my, for my cooking to, for me, mm. it was just something I enjoy doing. Um, and I think Natalie, like you had some people go, Oh, are you kidding? <laughs> like mm. you've created the most amazing meal. And, um, and, and sort of what's interesting is a lot of that motivation around, um, food, um, is connection. So I think there's something spiritual and amazing that happens around a dinner table. So quick example is recently, la- less than a month ago, um, I started, well, last year I started a whole new company, have a team now of, um, a six. Um, and, and for the first time we all gathered together, we'd never been in the same room together before. And I cooked and Mm. ate at our house and, you know, and, and and the reaction was really interesting in terms of feeling cared for, feeling special. And, uh, one person said, you know, our, our team is forever. Um, what's the word she used? Spoiled thinking this is a normal work event. Wow. Um, and so for me, cooking is a part of the creativity part, but it also is uh, a, a way to, for me to, to connect and, and build relationships. That's amazing. Um, and, and when I think about your cooking, you're very technical. Like there, the, the amount of tools that you have to do <laughs> such particular types of cooking is remarkable. And so there is a sense to where it, it, the kitchen can be a lab, but its end is to create an experience. Yeah. And I mean, that even as I hear Karen talk about your cooking, it's not just kind of the mad scientist, look what I can create. It is, it's always this kind of warm expression of connecting with people. Well, actually, that's a great segue into the six. So that's the six right. wing, because... The, the four is really bringing that emotional depth and creativity and inspiration, um, a, a uniqueness of what you can offer, whereas the six is really the connector. So what's interesting uh, between fives and sixes is as we're, we've been talking about, fives feel okay and need that time away from others, whereas sixes want to engage with others because they're looking for support, guidance, and security. So what, what you're finding with that connection piece is a sense of, I will feel, there, there's a sense of security in having this connection. And I can use my five to, you know, go the extra mile and know the details and deliver this incredible meal. And the four is coming in there to, to bring inspiration and creativity, but it's really the six that is looking for that connection, which is, you know, such a beautiful place for, um, 
you know, a five to have, to have both of those kind of operating at the same time. And I think that's why it's so important for us when we talk about wings, and that's what, this is what you're alluding to, is that it's not just about having one wing. We use both of the wings and we can use them even at the same time. It's not like one's way off there and you forget the other. So even just that example, Steve, is really helpful, I, ho I hope, for fives to recognize how they're four and their six can support the type five um, just on a day-to-day -day basis. Steve, why don't you tell us, how does your sixness show up? So it, it clearly shows up in wanting to connect with people. But can you think of other ways where six? Well, and, and I would say that this is an area that um, I've never um, had a strong feeling of a wing. So I, I've never... I won't say never, but, you know, Karen being a two with a strong one wing or a one with a strong two wing. I mean, that's, I, I don't feel that way with fours and six. And sure. I almost feel like, I don't think either one really resonates with me. So that's always been a bit of a, a struggle or to mm. understand how that interacts. So being able to say maybe it's an equal part of both is yeah. actually helpful. Yeah, um, mm -hmm. more so than yeah. And true. some some people use you know their wings a ton. Some use it very little. Some in between. Um, and so that's the beauty of it. Like we're all very different, but it's important for us to be aware of how our wings or our paths show up in misaligned and aligned ways. One, if they're misaligned, we obviously don't want to be in that sp space. So we want to grow. But if we don't know how they come into fruition in their positive sense then we might be missing opportunities to invite them into that space. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like for you, Steve, is, you know, this whole idea of having people in your home and to connect with them and to provide this delicious meal is a beautiful space that the six is offering you. Um, and it's also giving you a lot of courage. So sixes, you know, um, are some of the most courageous on the Enneagram and the five as you guys know, it's like, well, can I actually do this? Do I have enough information to cook this meal? You know, am I, am I really ready? And the six, you know, can have the self-doubt, but when they're at their healthiest, the six is like, let's go for it. We're going to do this. And so I think it's important for us to recognize, again, that the less healthy and the healthy attributes so we can invite those healthy attributes in um, more clearly on a day-to-day -day basis. In the video interview that we did with you and Karen for our marriage events, um, the videographer caught something that was so iconic for a five. You said, I am curious about everything and can talk about anything. And then you came back and said, but I'm always looking for a way out of the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> but you can see that like that is five and six energy mm -hmm. interplaying. Mm -hmm. I want to connect with you. I'm curious about life from your lens. And yet at the same time, there's another part of me that you're on your own. I'm, I'm going to go walk down the hallway. Well, yeah. yeah. Okay. I've had enough. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's if it's not words out loud, it's maybe certainly in my head, right? Yeah, that's right. <clears throat> Natalie, what about yourself? Do you see your six wings showing up? I do. I think I can look like a six at times, certainly. If if anything, if ever I've had a typing question in my mind, it's about five versus six, mm -hmm. but very much more so subtle with the motivations of the five. 
but I, I highly value relationships. I can't have as many deep relationships, I think, as certain types. You know, I know who my people are and I go deep with them. Um, but, you know, my husband, the type seven, will say that he he's shines at a house party, whereas that's the last place I want to be. <laughs> and then he says, I shine at a dinner party because I'm so curious about, about people. And I can be a pretty great question asker and listener. Um, and I just desire to actually know and to understand. I think people sense that. Um, and so, you know, that that's one way that the six wing uh, plays out for me. And then just the intentionality, you know, you know, I'm not I'm maybe not the best friend at just a spontaneous call me out of the blue for an hour conversation. That's going to throw me. <laughs> I'm going to go, wait, why are we talking? I haven't prepared for this, yeah. but yeah. but I will text a friend to say, hey, can we have a phone date next week? And I'm going to put it on my calendar and I'm going to be prepared. And yeah. I'm going to remember what we talked about last time. And I'm going to ask right. your follow up questions. And um, I just know over time, because I feel like my resources uh, for connection and giving to others are limited, I have to plan them out. Um, yeah. but, but I do that because I do genuinely care about people. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, let's dive into the last two parts, which are the Enneagram paths. And these um, are the two lines that you're connected to. So the, for the five, you're connected to seven and eight. And again, we use both of them in aligned and misaligned ways. Just depends on how we're doing in that given moment. Is our wounded child leading or is the beloved child? So for the type seven, they're excitable, optimistic. But when the wounded child is leading, it actually for the five can get them to a place where their mind is racing. It's scattered. It's restless. It's hyperactive. They also, you can find fives in this state where they're over scheduling themselves because they have like this frenetic energy and things look great. And so they put them on their calendar and it, it, too much is going on. But also fives in this place can get very talkative about what they're passionate about and very absorbed in their passions. And people don't always, are, they don't always recognize when others are done with that conversation, kind of like, um, I've listened to enough data. Can we move on? I don't think your uncle listens to our podcast, but my uncle's perfect at this. <laughs> recognize a boundary. No. Like he will go on and on. Well, okay. So when I was growing up with my uncle, he's a cardiologist, but like you guys, he knows a little bit of everything and he loves to tell you whatever it is that he's learning. Well, a lot of times he would start telling you things that you have one, no, as a, you know, younger preteen or whatever. I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, I don't even know what these words mean. So I learned early on that I want to come to the Thanksgiving meal or whatever it was with a curious question that I had, because he's probably going to know. And once I learned that, man, I got all the information I ever wanted to know about the topic I was curious Christmas about. Christmas gifts were always so unique to mm -hmm. us. And I use most of them. Yeah, that's still. true. That's true. Yeah, you got to have this pen because it's the one pen that the astronauts use. You can write with yeah. it upside, upside down. Upside down. Yep. I'm never upside down <laughs> writing, but sure. I guess I, <laughs> if I were, you know that this is the best we, instrument. We, and you still have the eyeglass gadget. Oh yeah, absolutely. To fix your glasses. Oh, he had this little extender magnet thing. Like, oh man. But then that broke anyway. Yeah. So and then, but the seven part of the five that's great is that. It brings this five who wants to withdraw, brings them into this place of physical activity, spontaneity, connecting with life and abundance. Um, so I'd love to hear from you guys. How does the seven show up for you kind of in that frenetic, um, putting too much on your calendar, maybe talking a ton, um, but then also that wanting to be spontaneous and connected and actually getting your body moving and into action? 
Yeah, I can speak to that for sure. I think uh, I can certainly enter phases like that, as you described the frenetic. You know, I was just talking about scheduling like a phone date with a friend. I can get in a season of being really excited about getting all these things on my calendar and then realize that I overextended myself too quickly. You know, I mean, especially yeah. I mean, coming out of COVID was this really interesting thing where all these things come, came off our plate, right? So even as yeah. a five, I was like, oh, I have bandwidth that I'm not using and I'm excited to spend that in the right ways and, uh, you know, started a book club, joined a brunch club, yoga twice a week. You know, I mean, it's like I very quickly was, was booking it up and it was a lot. So I resonate there. I certainly can get overly talkative about something I'm excited about. Um, but I, I think it would, I think it does surprise people at times where they're like, Oh, you're a five. If they've interacted with me in a situation where my energy level is there, I'm excited to talk about something. I can right. certainly present more extroverted in a, you know, maybe, maybe stereotypical uh, way if you catch me in the right setting. Yeah. Yeah. What, what do you think, uh, is it about your heart that, um, over schedules? Hmm. I I, I mean, I could almost sense it as I've gotten too reclusive, too disconnected. So now I kind of overcorrect and want to make sure that I engage with, you know, your people that, that small group of people. Uh, no, I think you're right on. I don't even know if there's anything I would add to that, honestly. So you, you nailed it, Jeff. Yeah. Well, see, once again, I go. mean, people's lives change when they're in conversation. <laughs> Steve, Steve, what about you? How does the seven show up? The, the comment about, you know, talking more, giving more information. I've, I've learned when somebody, I think I've learned. At least sometimes I've learned when somebody asks me a question, um, I, I will attempt to ask, how much do you want to know? <laughs> That's a great That's question. Great. Because, um, I, you know, in, again, do you want the blog post or do you want the Evernote file? <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and how many points do you want? Yeah, oh, sure. Yeah. Um, because I can, you know, go on and on on topics that are of interest to me, certainly, and um, that I think should be of interest to others. Well, let's talk about the last part, yeah. which is type the type eight, eight part. Mm -hmm. So for eights, they can be very self-confident, intense, can be controversial, um, big hearted, say, you know, what they're thinking, very blunt and direct. Um and then when they're misaligned, they can assert their boundaries more forcefully and confront others that are really displeasing them. Um, and they can actually start to bring in this intellectual strength and arrogance um, when they're wounded, so when they're not doing well. So the five will use that strength and intensity, but with their intellect and can really kind of plow over people in that sense. Um, but then with the, the eight, not only are they private and secretive, but they're really going to fear that people would betray them if they were vulnerable. So they're going to really kind of withdraw and hold even more if they're not in a good place. But when they're using the eight in a really healthy way, they become self-confident, assertive, uh, decisive. They trust their instincts. They know, you know what, there's a lot more information out there that I could gain, but I have enough right now to get something done and I'm going to move forward. And that's a really powerful place for the fives to be because when they recognize I have 40,000 Evernote uh, notes, I have enough information to get a lot done. 
then you're going to see this plethora of innovation, creativity, insight spill forth that really blesses the world in things like the Bezos letters, right? Yeah. Oh, well, if I remember correctly, Steve, you'd been reflecting on those for a long time mm-hmm. and it, it took a lot of time. And then finally the moment came where I don't know if it was Karen or other circumstances, but helped you to say, okay, now I'm going to move into life with my knowledge. Yeah, I think so. Because, yeah, I was definitely deep in research mode during kind of the, those initial drafts and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and not just information, mm-hmm. kind of for information's sake, but information for how can it help you, you know, as a yes. business owner, mm-hmm. how can it, you know, what are some of the things? And some of that's come about because of speaking, because of talking about some of the principles um, and and um, having them resonate with audiences. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we just <laughs> kind of fun. Again, we've I literally just got <clears throat> um, what I'm getting ready to post as my. Um, uh, I still am working on how I want to title it, but an Amazon hater loves the book. I mean, mm-hmm. literally, this is a person who hates Amazon, and and Karen recorded the video that she thought it was the best business book she's read. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I thought this was going to be an Amazon reviewer it is an who Amazon only reviews re- negatively. No, no, I got plenty of those. Um, I mean, one, <laughs> sure. one of my latest ones was a one-star because, you know, Bezos is so liberal. <laughs> oh. Yeah. You you know some of that stuff, right? Yes. Oh, sure. Yeah, you're not an author until you get a bad review. No, uh, that's right. And you want some one star reviews, so yes. it, it, you just don't want to read them. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, you know, it, it is interesting to think about that, though. Like Steve, that just the fact that you are able to articulate something and translate it for the welfare of others, not just as an intellectual mm-hmm. exercise, but you you paved a path. You wrote something unique. Mm-hmm that caught people's attention and made that accessible, uh, which is such a gift. Well, and what I'm, when I'm thinking with the eight, so we talk about eights being snow plows, like those big diesel snow plows that plow the highways. Um, and the reason why we talk about eights being that way is because a lot of people will say, Oh, they're bulldozers. They're just bulldozing over people. I'm like, no, no, they're big diesel snow plows because they're plowing a path for others. That's really like the heart. Now. Yeah. At times when they're not healthy, they're going to nick people on the side of the road or plow over them. And so what I'm hearing from you when you're using the eight is I have this knowledge. And when I, when I use this knowledge in an assertive way and move forward, I'm plowing a path for others with my knowledge, mm-hmm. which is so beautiful. But at the same time, fives can use the eight in an unhealthy way where they're, they arrogantly use their intellect to plow over people as well. And so it's kind of a both end. Natalie, what about you? How does the eight show up? Yeah, I think the eight for me shows up a couple ways. One being that I'm um, truthful to a fault. Um, the, mm-hmm. the plus side of that being that I think uh, I'm, I'm typically viewed as a really trusted friend and colleague because mm. People know that I'm not going to say something I don't mean. Uh, And then on the other side of that coin, though, the arrogance, unfortunately, really shows up for me where I think that what I think is truthful is it, right? Like Mm. it's, (laughs) I have Mm -hmm. the most information, so I'm stating something that, you know, maybe it should just be an opinion or one perspective to bring to the table. And I think it's an absolute, I think I'm stating the truth when in fact, I'm just stating 
uh, my opinion. Well, and and what is that like for you? I I am curious about this. What is that like for you being president and COO in an organization where there's a part of you that like you have ambivalence of I'm I'm a five and I'm observer, but also I need to lead, and this eight part of me helps me to lead. Uh, what does it look like for you just on a day-to-day basis and how you shepherd your own heart? Well, you're catching me very much in the transformational process of that, Jeff, oh, okay. of learning that, um, of, of learning when to share my view and when to hold back and let somebody else, you know, in a meeting speak first and and learning that the way I can convey an opinion um, or a perspective matters. So I don't state something stronger than I mean it, mean it, or more absolute than I mean it. Um, but just gently sharing and leaving room for opposing views and for discussion. Because what's interesting is that I actually, I, I love the healthy side of my aid is that I love a really great intellectual debate. I, I truly believe in my heart of hearts that the best idea wins. And so I'm learning as a leader how to facilitate conversations that let those best ideas come to the surface and create safe spaces to have those difficult conversations. Wow. Yeah, that's great. What a vision for a type five in leadership. That is awesome, Natalie. Yeah. Well, thank you so much to for both of you for joining and being so honest and just transparent with our questions and, and talking about your experience of being a type five. And if you've been listening in on the conversation, we hope that you'll share this episode with your friends and those whom you love. Um, what, you know, in part you've been listening to is talking about Enneagram coaching. And if you'd be interested in learning more about your experience and how your experience has shaped you, uh, and your Enneagram type, you can connect with one of our certified Enneagram coaches by going to www.myenneagramcoach.com. And the topic of the day is the Enneagram Internal Profile, which is captured in our new book, More Than Your Number. You can find it anywhere books are sold now for pre-order. And so be sure to go and uh, pre-order the book. It comes out in September. Yeah. Um, and then join us next week as we dive into the world of type sixes, which that's It's going to be amazing. <laughs> amazing. Incredible. The world is infinite. <laughs> There's so many alternative personalities of the six. That yeah, that's true. There's lots, lots to dive in, right? Well, as always, remember that the Enneagram reveals your need for Jesus, not your need to work harder. It's the gospel that transforms us. Bye-bye.